0: If you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to find Ephesians chapter 4, All right, and I'm going to talk quickly today, quicker than I normally do, because we love missions, we always want to give it enough time, things like that, Uh, but we also want to jump into the Word this morning. And today's today's our seventh week in the book of Ephesians, and we are just hitting the halfway mark. Okay, we are in chapter four. So if you're opening up to Ephesians, find chapter four. And even though this is our seventh week, we are going to finish the remainder of the book, the second half of the book, pretty quickly. All right, we have three weeks, including today. All right, and it's because we are not necessarily just breaking it up at like five or ten verses at a time. We are trying to follow the themes that Paul would have written into these letters. Um, And at the beginning, it just broke up a lot faster, because that's how the beginning of these letters were. At the end, Paul's going to go in really heavy on some things here, but they all kind of have to do with each other. All right. and so the first six weeks was trying to understand the foundation and groundwork that Paul is laying so that he can say what he's about to say, starting today. He's like, you need to understand all this so that now I can kind of just speak straight to you here. And so he's starting this in chapter four here. All right. And we're going to see this begin to take shape. Um, and what we said is one of the biggest themes in Ephesians is unity. He's talking about this different background of believers coming together and finding unity. You have Jews, you have Gentiles. And we have talked heavily about this. This is so important today. And yet so many churches are what we would call homogenous, where you walk in and it's just one type of person that's there. One ethnic background, one political background, one socioeconomic financial background, one age demographic. Because we naturally pull towards people that think like us, talk like us, look like us, believe like us. It's way easier to do that. And Paul's saying, we're not in this for the easy route. Okay, we're in this for the route that God wants for us and he's saying it's this multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multicultural church. And actually when you do that and you do it right, the world around you is going to see that and they're going to say what is going on there. And that's what the early church was. That's what this early community was, all right? And so this is it's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And Paul's saying that. He said, "I know this is difficult, but it's what we're called to do." Alright, and when we do it, it's going to show the world that something is going on. God is part of something here. And so Paul begins to give some instruction on how to do that and what it looks like. And that's the start of the second half. All right, so I want us to just be ready to be challenged today. If you are willing and able, would you stand with me? I'm going to read through our passage here. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1 through verse 16. All right, I'm going to read this quickly, but then we're going to go back through these things and see what it is that Paul is trying to speak, not only to the original reader, but to us as well. So he says this, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, Binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every, every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. God, we pray that as we, as we focus in on this section, Lord, that our eyes would just be opened and, and our hearts would be illuminated in what it is that you have for us today. Lord, what you spoke through your Apostle Paul so many years ago and how it is still so relevant and so alive for us today, that we would be changed by this time together. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Now we're going to read through... Parts of this, and we're going to do our best to grab what it is that Paul is, is specifically trying to get across to the early church. And then by extension, to us as well. All right, And he starts off with this line, and I love it. He says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. All right, And at this point, we should be asking the question, what calling? What does Paul mean by that? And in the modern Western world, I, th- I think we've messed up this idea of calling very easily, all right? Somewhere along the line, we started to associate our calling from God with the vocation that we get paid for. All right, like whatever your job is or your career, like that is your calling. And this has played into our young people so much. And I think this is why so often they have this massive pressure on them of what do I do after I graduate? Because if that's associated with your calling of what I'm going to do, then I better make the right choice right now, otherwise my life is getting off track, and how am I ever going to get it back on track when I've spent 80 grand to go get this education at this place to do this, even though maybe I'm supposed to do something else. And you can feel that pressure that people have, and I think that's our fault for associating these things so closely together. What Paul's actually referencing here isn't a vocation or a job, but what every single follower of Jesus is called to. Okay, remember one of the themes that we talked about a few weeks ago. There are themes in every one of these letters, and you're meant to see them and then trace them all the way through that letter. One of the themes uh, that we saw was understanding the hope to which we are called to. This glorious inheritance. The Christian hope is this. Because King Jesus has conquered death itself, all who give him their faithful allegiance are assured that the same victory will be theirs as well. That, that is the hope that we are called to. That sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? That what he has defeated, that that victory that he has, is what we are called to. Living a life worthy of that calling is about inviting people to believe in Jesus as the risen Lord and King and to give him complete and undivided allegiance for the rest of their lives. All right, which means this, that in every moment, in every decision, with every word and action, we are to be aware that the call to follow Jesus the Messiah and give him our complete loyalty takes precedence over everything else. Alright, so here, here's what that is. Our calling is to believe that Jesus is our rescuer and our king and to live our life giving him our complete and undivided allegiance and to be actively inviting others to do the same. That's the calling that every single one of us has on our life. All right, That's, that's your calling, that's my calling. And it's pretty simple, but it can be incredibly hard. Especially when we live in a world that is always and constantly and relentlessly demanding that we give our allegiance to a million other things. And I keep using that word, allegiance. all right, Because we can give our allegiance to our selfish desires and wants. We can give it to our future in our life here. okay. We can give our allegiance to our kids and our family and their futures and wanting to see that be the best that we think it can be. We can give our allegiance to our country, uh, to a political party or system. We can give our allegiance to our job, vocation, career. And every one of these things at every moment of your day is trying to get you to say, place this higher. Place this higher than your allegiance to King Jesus. All right? And that is what we have to deny every single day. And a higher allegiance placed anywhere other than King Jesus is idolatry. For more on on this idea, like I'm purposely using the word allegiance, because I just over the last couple years here have just begun to realize how heavy of a thing that word carries, okay? If you want more on that, I'm going to actually even recommend a book right now, okay? It's called Gospel Allegiance by Matthew Bates. Okay, and I want to encourage you, and I know Mark is nodding right now because him and I had this conversation a couple years ago, and he's already picked up the book and read through it, and it, it is heavy, it is good, but oh my gosh, how important that is. Our allegiance and where that lies. Okay, the subtitle on there is meant to throw you for a loop, okay? That's it's okay. Uh, let's keep moving. Paul gives some instruction for the church. Remember, he's just got done telling them to bring all these people together, all these people that are very different, and he says it isn't easy. And he says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Now, this is great advice. And honestly, if all, of, if all of us did this more, if we did this more often in our lives, we wouldn't have half the fights and arguments that we have. Okay? But we live in a world that values fighting. We do. Like, I'm going to say this phrase, and I want it to evoke certain things inside of you. That we fight for what we believe in. Okay, and think about that phrase. How does that phrase make you feel in this moment? But I want us to realize what what is the start of that phrase. We fight. Okay, now begin to bring that phrase even to the New Testament and read through things. How often are you going to find language that aligns with that phrase? Let's fight for what we believe in. Like We we want to have the person who, who won't take any crap, that they're going to stand up for things. They're going to go in and they're going to get the job done. And you know what? Even if I don't love the way they do it, the ends justify the means. And they're at least doing something. They're fighting for it. Right? Like, those are phrases we hear and we're like, as long as this is getting done, okay, let's bring this idea back to Scripture here. All right? Because the more I, I, the more I read this, I don't, I don't think Jesus would agree with that. We need to find new verbiage to talk about fighting for what we believe in, because I just don't think that's the right phrase. Because the more I read the New Testament, the less I see this, this fighting attitude. All right, this doesn't mean you give in, but there's a third option. And honestly, it's alluded to a ton in Scripture. We just ignore it because we don't like it. All right, And that is that you can die for what you believe in. You can die for what you believe in instead of fighting for what you believe in. If someone is going to fight with you, you can say, that's okay. You can kill me. Because I'm not going to raise a finger. I'm not, I'm not going to fight on this. And Peter said this, we talk about this, Peter said, I'll die for you, Jesus. What did he actually mean? He said, Jesus, I'll kill for you. Because when the, when the time came, he pulled out his sword and he cut off the guy's ear. And killing for what you believe in and dying for what you believe in are not the same. All right. And so this is, this is important, these things. And and so we see this, you know, and it's, it's all through scripture. You read through Revelation and we think Jesus is coming as this mighty warrior, And then we John turns and sees, and he's always shocked by what he sees. He sees Jesus covered in blood. But he's covered in blood before the battle. It's not his enemy's blood, it's it's his own. This idea of this constant laying down your life, it it is it is all over scripture. And, And so I want us to understand this, you know, like, and we're gonna touch on this idea of the warrior motif that we love to pick up in scripture. And how I think we've maybe twisted that a little bit. We're gonna talk about that in a couple weeks at the end of Ephesians here. Okay. But Jesus said that laying down your life, laying down your life, that that is what we are called to do. But that isn't necessarily the message that the modern church wants to hear and is ready for. All right. And so what Paul says here is always be humble and gentle. Not sometimes, not when they're being humble and gentle. Then you be humble and gentle back. He says, always. Other people will make mistakes. Make allowances for it. Verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Again, peace. Like we, see, we see words like this. The more you start to look for it, you see these everywhere. Make an effort to keep united. See, uni- unity isn't something that you achieve and it's over. And you're forever united. Unity isn't accomplished, it is maintained. And it will take so, so, so much work to maintain, all right? Every single day it's going to be attacked. It must be guarded. It must be preserved, unity. Then he continues, For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Okay, remember that line right there. That's a theme we've seen throughout Ephesians, this one glorious hope for the future. Then he says, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Paul knows that even though this group has a million things that differ between each other, there's something greater than all that that they have in common. They will come together and be one body, and that one body will all be empowered by one spirit, the same spirit. And we've said this before, we, we have more in common, you and I, If you say that you're a follower of Jesus, we have more in common with someone on the other side of the world, from a different culture, who speaks a different language, is from a different generation, but has given their allegiance to Jesus, we have more in common with them than our next door neighbor, who looks like us, talks like us, votes like us, cheers for the same football team, graduated from the same high school, maybe even in the same year, but hasn't given their allegiance to Jesus. We have more in common with that other person because of how much weight that carries versus how much weight these other things do. And yet we don't always see it that way. We see it as like the people around us that look like us, talk like us, vote like us, all these things. Like that, that's who we have things in common with. There is no greater common ground than our one king who brings us all together in the one spirit that empowers all of us. It is stronger than everything else combined something cool that God does is is even though that this is one Spirit unifying us, the Holy Spirit gives different gifts. Verse 7, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And this happens so that we can come together and strengthen each other through our differences. We talked about that last week. That our differences are meant to be brought together, not to be minimized, but because they strengthen each other and we offset each other's weaknesses. And in just a moment, Paul begins to list off some other gifts he's referencing. Uh, Before that, he goes into three verses. I don't want you to think that I'm just skipping these. But there's three verses, and this happens in Paul's letters, where all of a sudden he goes off, and scholars are like, we don't actually know what Paul is saying here. We don't know the points he's trying to make, the words he's using. We don't find really other places. So the next three verses, this like, Heights and depths and things like that. I'm gonna kind of, I'm gonna pass over that. I'm gonna encourage you go and study, look into that. Like there's something going on there, uh, but scholars will say we don't really fully know what Paul's trying to get at there. So it's, I'm not gonna take time this morning to speculate on those verses. We're gonna move into what Paul is saying as far as these, as these gifts. Okay, and he says in verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church: the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, I don't think that this list is meant to be exhaustive because we see lists in other places of the New Testament that Paul gives and some of those lists will be slightly different from different gifts that, that are given. All right? And uh, a quick tangent in this. I get, I get upset when Christians or the church think that this list is the end-all, be-all. That this is how people are gifted. And, and if you aren't one of these, then you aren't really useful. And Or people start to narrow down how people can be used by the Spirit. And let me just say this. like We serve the most creative God ever. He made everything. Like creativity is His thing. Everyone else is just recreating things that He has already done. Okay, there's like no creativity outside of him all right and we don't have anything original to us it all stems from God so when we start to say that God only hands out these giftings in this short little list think of the box that we are putting God in okay like our God is incredibly creative I can just imagine God being like come on guys you know like that 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 wasn't what Paul was going for there now there's a reason for this list okay I'm going to get to that in a moment there's a reason for it but don't let this narrow your idea of how God can use you, or begin to rank different giftings of what is better or what isn't better. Okay, like one of the first people in the Bible that is empowered by the Spirit, okay, in Exodus, is uh, is a guy uh, Bezalel, and he is empowered as an artist. To create the tabernacle and the designs that are inside of it. And that's the verbiage when you actually see the Hebrew of the Holy Spirit empowering somebody. That's one of the first times we see it. Is for someone to be creative and to use artistic moments. But that doesn't always fit into our church list. Because we like to make our church into a nice easy system. And say, okay, God's given you gifts and if he's given you a smile, go be a greeter. If you're able to cook food, serve in the kitchen. Okay, if if you're just a guy that's going to stand there and kind of be gruff, be an usher. You know, and we're like, we just have all these different, okay, you have a little bit of gifting of music, then let's let's be in the worship team. And we narrow things down because we want to say like, okay, here's our perfect little system and we want you to fit into this system. We want to use you in these ways. And can I just say this in a moment? Like that is borderline gross that we would say, because here's what's happening. You have a system that is using people for its end, and that's gross. Okay, like we need to make sure that as we serve and as we come together, and that's when we talk about serving in this church, it's not that we, we need you to do this and you have to fill this need. It's that, you know what, here's how we do it. We serve on either the first, the second, the third, the fourth weekend. We do it every single weekend. Why? Because you get to spend time with the same people every month, people you probably wouldn't walk in and sit next to necessarily. You get to grow in relationship, grow in community with those people. It's a lot less about how has God gifted you and a lot more about are you rubbing shoulders with people next to you getting to know them? So when people say, I don't feel like I'm connected at this church, I don't feel like I know anybody, I will always ask, have you joined a life group and are you on a serve team? Not because I want to use you for our systems and goal, but because I know that that is how we connect with each other. It's so important. It's so important. Don't ever let somebody narrow down how God can use you and how the Spirit can empower you when we serve the most creative God ever. Okay, let's not narrow these things down. Now here's what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to find where I am in my notes. All right. Um, because as I go off in those tangents, I get very passionate about them. And just God, God inspires us to use that creativity. The enemy, the enemy has zero creativity. The enemy only twists and manipulates what God has already created. All right, and those are things that we need to realize. So when when Paul gives this list, there's a purpose for this. And the purpose, it says it, verse 13, it's for believers to mature in their faith. That's what those giftings were for, to grow, to further yourself, further down that path. And that's important because when you don't mature as a believer, what happens? Well, simple answer, you're immature as a believer. Okay, and when you're immature, it says you are tossed about with every new teaching, every little thing trying to pull you away. Remember, this world is constantly trying to pull us away, to manipulate, to twist what God has created for good, to be used in a different way. And when we are immature, we are so much more likely to be pulled in those directions. And Paul's saying, you need to mature. These gifts that I'm highlighting right now, these gifts, they are for the sake of the community to mature. These are not the only exclusive gifts. These gifts are for us to grow in maturity. And trust me, there there are a lot of ways to get pulled away from God. So in verse 15, And when we do mature, we will speak the truth in love. Okay, And, and did you catch that there? Like, speaking the truth is not the defining characteristic of maturity. Anybody can speak the truth. Doing it in love, that takes empathy that takes grace. It isn't enough just to say what is true. That is not our job. This is probably, at times, my biggest beef with, you know, it's, and this is easy to pick on, but the person on the, the street corner with a big sign that says, you know, the end is near and you're going to hell. You know, like, basically type of sign that they're standing out there. Because what are they doing? They're communicating the truth. Are they doing it in love? Yeah. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> Okay, and like just communicating the truth. And people will say, well, I said what was true. It's their job to to do what they want with that. You know, I'm washing my hands of that. I said what was true. No, that's not where your job ends. Your job is to make that truth to be as inviting as possible that they actually want to accept that truth and be changed by that truth. It's not enough just to say the truth. We have to go further than that. We have a responsibility to say things in a way that others will want to hear it and take it to heart and be changed by that truth. And when we can pull all of this off, here's what happens. Verse 16, the end of this. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. He's saying don't don't worry about trying to make everything fit together. That's not your job. That's the Spirit's job. Our job is to follow Him, to have our allegiance completely to Him, to make allowances for others, to help them grow. And when that is happening, then we will fit together in perfect unity because the Spirit is going to be working. As we remain different, He gives us different gifts, and we have unity. It's crazy how that works, but it's because God is interested in unity, not uniformity. It's not about making everybody the same. He doesn't want us all to look the same. He made us different for a reason. Then he gave us different gifts for a reason. Because true unity doesn't come from being the same, and therefore we don't fight. True unity happens when we bring our differences together and use them for the good of the people around us. Man, I, I love this letter. I love this letter. It is so good. I hope that I, I always continue to get excited about Scripture. And what I've found is the more I dive into it, the more I try and understand it and grasp the context and the culture and what's behind it, the more excited I get and the more I want to do this. I think too often people talking about the Bible try to add in all sorts of other stuff to like spice up Scripture, and we just don't need to do that. All right, like Everything we need is right here. And this is amazing all on its own. And we just need to actually focus in on it and understand and comprehend what is going on. And not just the words, but the culture, the context behind it. So I want to just, I want to do this as we get ready to close. We can even stand across this room. I like standing because sometimes we need to change our physical posture. All right, like it's easy to get lulled into a mindset. Uh, And changing our physical posture often can be a catalyst to helping us change even our mental and our spiritual posture as well. All right, And I want us to make sure we are walking out of here changed spiritually. I want to highlight some key things from this passage for us that I think Paul was saying. And in the same spirit of how we're saying this, I don't think that there's one walk away for all of us in this room. I think that God probably is speaking to each one of us differently. And maybe something today really hit you. And I want to go back and just quickly highlight some of these things. All right, so Paul challenged us in several ways. He challenged us to live our life in a way that is worthy of that calling. So maybe, maybe you're not doing that. Maybe we aren't doing that. Maybe we haven't given our complete and total allegiance to him. Maybe we still have our allegiance lying in several different places. And he's the only one that's worthy of it. We were challenged to be humble and gentle, two characteristics that our world is in very short supply of these days. To make allowances for other people and their mistakes because then hopefully they'll make allowances for ours as well. We are challenged to, to put in the hard work of staying unified. It's not easy and it doesn't naturally happen. It takes work. Maybe you've been feeling pulled towards disunity. Maybe that's in your family. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your place of work or just life in general. Maybe the political megaphone that has been hammering away on you trying to get to see other people who are made in the image of God instead as enemies. Put in the effort to maintain unity. And the last challenge I think Paul kind of had for us is is the Holy Spirit gives us giftings to be used to to glorify God and to build up other believers. Do you feel like you know how God has gifted you? Have you found ways to glorify Him through those gifts? And that goes way beyond doing things here on a Sunday at this church. All right, please, please, please do not minimize it to this weekend gathering. And I apologize for any time that as a church, we have done that and minimized things to how can you serve the 501 C3 that is this church? Like that's that's not what this is about. This is about how can we serve God with the ways that He's gifted us? Are you maturing? Are you helping others mature? Are you letting others help you? Because the goal of, of all of this was the end of verse 16, if you caught it there. The goal is we want to be a community that is healthy and growing and full of love. And that's what Paul says. That's that's how he closes this out. Verse 16, a community that is healthy and growing and full of love. So I want to ask a pretty simple and even vague question here to close. And it is not specific on purpose. All right, why don't we even go back one slide to the one that listed all the things that Paul was kind of challenging us with um, in this. Because I want us to be able to kind of read that. And I want to just ask this question. How many of us, let's go back one slide quickly, just showing kind of that whole list of the things that Paul said. How many of us would say that as you're going through this and as you're listening to what Paul's saying to the early church in Ephesus and, and now saying to us, they would say, okay, God, I, you're speaking something to me this morning. There's something specific that I need to do. And if that's you, I don't even just invite you, just, just slip your hand up. You're saying, God is speaking something specific to me this morning. As, as I'm going through this part of Ephesians, there is something that God is saying, hey, this is you. This is where you are. This is what needs to change. And this is what our responsibility is. This is part of total allegiance to him. Is when we come to him, we lay everything on the ground and say, Lord, please only let me pick back up what is of you. Whatever is of me, when I walk out of here, let it stay here. Let it stay at the altar. Don't let me take that with me. I only want the things that are of you to be being picked back up and walking out of here with me today. So I'm going to close us in prayer. I want to challenge you just to continue to ask this question. What does it look like? Whatever that one specific thing is that God's speaking to you, what does it look like for you to take a step in that direction this week? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just continue to empower this community. God, that we would not limit what it is that you can do in our life based off of our small minds that can't even begin to comprehend the creativity that you have so God we ask that for each one of us as we leave here today that we would be challenged in a a specific way of something that we have to work on this week and God let, let it begin in me let it begin in each one of us that we have areas that we need to deal with so Lord we we ask that you just continue to change us every single moment